Heavenly Father, we have not loved you as we ought, and to the degree that we do love you, it is because you have first loved us. O Lord, as we open now your word, we pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened, so that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of that love, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, so that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God. We especially pray today that you would teach us to guard our tongues and to use the gift of speech to honor you and to love our neighbors. In our pride, we are too easily offended and given over to anger. We're swift to inflict pain and revenge upon those who dare to cross us. In so doing, we fail to love you. Send your Holy Spirit to convict us of our sins and grant us also the grace of repentance and the power to overcome this kind of, these kinds of transgressions. Make us to conform to the image of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our text today is from Genesis, the fourth chapter, verses 3 through 7. Hear now the word of the living God. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said, Amen. The world is full of actions and reactions, and so are we. We have deliberate thoughts and plans, and we think about things we want to say and do. But then oftentimes we find ourselves in situations where we are reacting to something that someone else has said or done. And God calls us, His people, to represent Him in both of those situations, both in our actions and our reactions. And since our words are part of our actions, they must also represent Him well in both of those circumstances. Reactions are responses, again, to what is said or done either to us or around us. Reactions involve our thoughts, they involve our emotions and our behavior, our body language, and our focus today is our words. The Bible teaches us that all of these things are to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. We are to be filled with God's Spirit, to be Uh, Not inebriated, not intoxicated with wine, but rather filled with the Spirit. We're to be under the influence of the Spirit of God. And since our focus is on words today, I want us to examine the power and the impact of angry words. There is a time and a place for angry words. However, they are probably not... Uh, as, as called for as often as we think they are. When, someone, when something is on fire or in danger of combustion, throwing gas on it is not wise, even if it is tempting. 
I like a good fire. I was a Boy Scout and uh, always loved throwing, throwing things on a fire, especially if there was a little gas around. That was exciting, if not safe. Godly maturity, though, calls us to turn the temperature down, not up. And the right words at the right time can go far to accomplish good things, but of course the opposite of that is true as well. So as we remember this story of the jealousy of Cain toward Abel, when Abel's sacrifice was acceptable to God, but Cain's wasn't, and God knew that Cain was angry. He was angry with Abel when he should have been angry with himself. God also knew what would happen if Cain allowed that anger to continue to brew and to boil over within himself. And as long as Cain harbored that anger within him, the time was going to come when he would vent that anger in one form or another. And before that happened, rather than allowing his anger to master him, he needed to master it. Unfortunately, Cain did not allow uh, the sin, excuse me, Cain did allow the sin to master him, and he ultimately killed his brother. And so we need to recognize, as the Bible tells us, that anger and hatred are the seed forms of murder, uh, and our, our, our willingness to act out, that oftentimes that anger shows itself up first in words, words of threatening, words of uh, harshness, uh, the ways we express ourselves, and then often our behavior, our other behaviors follow that. It becomes like a cancer that eats on us until we are consumed and no longer under control. And sometimes people will use that as an excuse, well, I was out of control. And sometimes we hear people say that about alcohol or drugs, that, uh, you know, well, I, I had that car accident that killed those people, but I was under the influence. That's not an excuse. You see, God calls us not to be under the influence. And in this case, he calls us not to be under the influence of anger. Now, anger and angry words not only impact others, they also do damage to the one who is angry. C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, One man may be so placed that his anger sheds the blood of thousands, and another so placed that however angry he gets, he will only be laughed at. <clears throat> but the little mark on the soul may be much the same in both. Each has done something to himself, which, unless he repents, will make it harder for him to keep out of the rage next time he's tempted, and will make the rage worse when he does fall into it. Each of them, if he seriously turns to God, can have that twist in the central man straightened out again. Each is, in the long run, doomed if he will not. The bigness or smallness of the thing seen from the outside is not what really matters. In some families, <clears throat> expressions of anger are common. They become part of the family system. I see it in churches sometimes too, but particularly in nuclear families, this is sometimes passed down for generations, the sins of the father visiting multiple generations it's true that some people 
uh, you know, use this as an excuse, but it is no excuse, nor is some claim to somebody just simply having a certain kind of personality or a bad temperament, as though that is some kind of an excuse. Now, sometimes somebody would say something like, well, that's just Joe being Joe, or John being John, or Sue being Sue, or whatever, as though somehow that is a sufficient excuse. Well, you know what? Joe and John and Sue need to stop being Joe and John and Sue if that includes sinful, angry expressions. That's not acceptable. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes people like me and you and changes us and roots out sin and puts in its place righteous responses and godliness. That's the focus that we have to have is about being changed by the power of God. Now, it is true that some people are more inclined to one sin over another, but, that's never, but it never ceases to be a sin. And if it's a sin, it must be repented of. And if it's a sin, it can be overcome by the grace of God and by the power and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And, what, and, and when that happens, it'll be much easier, certainly, for your children and your children's children and your great-great-grandchildren to not be so plagued with the bitter fruit and the practice of angry words. Many of us can look at our families or some parts of our families if we look back and if we study family history. We don't, usually don't have to go very far to find places where these kind of things tore people apart. And so we have it in our history, we're certainly in the human race, and so it's something that we need to be on the lookout for. And so um, anger does both short-term and long-term damage. Uh, Pastor John Piper said, Anger can seethe day after day, week after week, year after year, and come out in so many oblique expressions of demeaning behavior, neglect, and lack of attention that I think it can undermine a relationship more subtly and with more long-term damage than the dragon of lust can. Aristotle said anybody can become angry. That's, That's easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way That is not within everybody's power, and it's not easy. Anger isn't inherently wrong. God gets angry, and very occasionally the Bible refers to justified human anger. Like other emotions, anger motivates action and indignation with evil, uh, evil, and it impels us then to oppose it. We should be angry about evil. God's anger is always the appropriate and the just response to wickedness. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And in Romans 2.5-6, But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, You are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render each according to his deeds. And so God's wrath, God's anger is never misguided. 
And so he is therefore capable of properly manifesting anger. Man, however, with his sinful nature, is not always so capable. His anger is often misguided and misdirected because of ignorance, because of false presumptions and misunderstandings and so forth. As Proverbs 14:17 warns, a quick-tempered man acts foolishly. In fact, the Bible warns us to avoid even making friends with angry people because they influence us. Proverbs 22, make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. This is consistent with what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Now, it is possible, as we read in Ephesians 4, to be angry and not sin. Specifically, we're commanded, be angry and sin not. But the fact that this warning not to sin follows so closely behind the permission to be angry tells us that it's very easy to cross that line. The text goes on to tell us, Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And so God even sets strict boundaries on righteous anger. Yes, you can be angry, but not for very long. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, because if you do, you're opening up an opportunity for the devil to get into that relationship and start to do damage. Examples of biblical anger include Paul's confronting Peter because of his wrong example. Uh, In the book of Galatians, we read about that in chapter 2. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. uh, For before certain men came James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when when they came, he withdrew and separated himself fearing those who were of the circumcision, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. I believe the Apostle Paul was angry about that. And I believe he had a righteous expression of anger as he confronted Peter about that. Another example is perhaps David's being upset over Nathan's, Nathan the prophet sharing about the injustice of the one who stole the one little ewe lamb. Yes, he was justified and, and uh, upset about that injustice. And, of course, Nathan turned it on him and said to David, Thou art the man. And Jesus, of course, his anger over how some of the Jews had defiled the worship at God's temple in Jerusalem. And in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 18, we read, And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' uh, money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Notice that none of these examples of anger involve self-defense, but a defense of others or of some principle of righteousness. 
Yet Jesus warns that much human anger, whether felt or expressed in angry words, puts us in danger of hellfire, of punishment. Now, Jesus doesn't say, don't be angry. Instead, His commandments in Matthew 5, 23-26 show how we can diffuse anger before it escal- they escalate into strife. <clears throat> Jesus says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. And so instead of putting off reconciliation, Jesus says that reconciliation is even a higher priority than worship. In fact, you can't really worship until that reconciliation has taken place. If your brother has something against you, take care of it right now. If something is uh, irrita- uh, is excuse me, if someone is initiating legal action against you, seek a quick agreement before the case goes to court. Jesus says that we should not escalate conflict, but rather diffuse it. He loves peace. Now. There was this pastor, he was building this elaborate trellis. And you notice there was a young boy there watching him and come by, and he watched for a long time. And uh, he finally asked the boy, he said, are you watching so that you can learn how to build a trellis? And the boy said, no, I just wanted to know what a preacher says when he hits his hand with a hammer. Our responses to people and situations are manifestations of who we are. And when we're angry, our character slips out. Our slip is showing. Harsh or abusive speech adds fuel to fire, and as Proverbs 15.1 instructs us, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When anger is present, the situation becomes intensified with harsh responses. Proverbs 12:18, there is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. You know, isn't it great to hear things like, you know, I think we need to take a breath here. I think we need to take a break. I think we need to settle down. Can we, hey, I got an idea. Let's pray about this first, and then let's discuss this conflict and this problem. Wouldn't that be a great beginning to, to begin to deal with an issue and a problem? Wouldn't that put us all in the right reference before God, that He's our judge, that He knows the truth, and that whatever dispute we might be having, He's involved, He has something to say about it, He knows the right from the wrong? Psalm 37.8 calls us, quote, to refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. I'm so worked up. Then stop it. That's what it says. Refrain yourself. Talk to yourself. Stop getting so worked up over this. God is still in control. If it's an injustice, He knows how to bring about justice. If it, do you need do you need more wisdom? 
What does he say to do about that? If you lack wisdom, ask. Have you done that? Is this conflict, is this problem a lack of wisdom for you or somebody else? You can ask for somebody else to have wisdom. Does this situation need grace or gasoline? Proverbs 15:18 warns that a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. These proverbs are not simply quaint sayings, they're the Word of God. Our angry words actually pierce like a sword, and they tend only to evil, and they stir up strife. Yeah, but I'm right. You know what? There's a greater right than being right. Compare this with what James says in chapter 3 of James, 16-18. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wise words are the opposite of angry words. They are careful, they are thoughtful, and they are helpful. Angry words pour forth when we are selfishly motivated, as James 1 says, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Or when anger is allowed to linger, as we talked about, if you let the sun go down in your anger, I'm just seething and hanging on, and I've been angry for days and weeks and months and sometimes years and sometimes a lifetime. Instead of using the energy generated by anger to attack the problem at hand, we are prone to attack the person. Ephesians 4 says that we are to speak the truth in love and to use our words to build others up, not allowing corrupt or destructive words to pour forth from our lips. Now one of the ways we handle anger biblically is to see God in the trial. This is especially important when people have done something to offend us. James 1, 2 and 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Is it a trial when someone has treated you in an unjust way? Are you being tested? Then here's what you're to do. First, count it all joy. Now God, God asks us to do a lot of things that are not just hard. They're virtually impossible. You know, it's going to take some supernatural, oh, He gave me the Holy Spirit, you gave me your Word, you've transformed me and given me a new heart. You mean I'm actually supposed to take the impossible and do and respond to it in a supernatural way? Consider it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces angry words. Patience. Okay, God, I need a burst of patience quick. But let patience have its 
perfect work. It's maturing work. That you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. You got that picture? God takes. God is sending trials your way, aggravations your way. And how you respond to them is going to determine whether you're going to be a baby or whether you're going to grow up. And the way you grow up is you say, first of all, God sent this. And I'm happy that He sent it because it means He loves me. And He wants me to be more like Him. He's testing me, trying me. And so now I'm going to respond by, first of all, being patient. And then... That patience is going to do something to change me, to make me more like Christ, to mature me, so that I'm actually a grown-up here. I'm not a two-year-old having a fit because somebody dared to cross me. Romans 8, 28 and 29, we know that all things work together to good. For those who love God, called according to His purpose, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Genesis 50, 20, Joseph. With his brothers, I mean, you talk about a trial. When's the last time you were sold into slavery? When's the last time you were falsely accused by someone high up? When's the last time you spent a few years in prison? Now the guys that did it to you, here they are in front of you, and you got the power for revenge. He says, but as for you, you intended it for evil against me, that's true, but God meant it for good. You see... He must have read James. God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. All point to the fact that God is sovereign in complete control over every circumstances and person that enters our path. Every situation, nothing happens to us that he does not either cause or allow. So, right before you get mad at him, get mad at God. God, why did you do this? Why did you let this happen today in my life? We can handle anger biblically by making room for God's wrath. Remember, it's always righteous. This is especially important in the case of injustice when evil men abuse innocent people. Romans 12:19 tells us not to play God. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God is righteous and just, and we can trust Him who knows and sees all things and always acts justly. Genesis 18.25 Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of, the, of all the earth do right? Do you believe that? We can handle anger biblically by not returning evil for evil. Does that help? You know the old saying, the two wrongs make a right. Here's what Joseph said to his brothers, the ones he just said, you know, I know you intended this for evil. Genesis 50, 21. 
Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. In other words, he read Romans 12:21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 1 Peter 3, <coughs> verses 8 and 9. And finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted and courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Okay, I'll bite my tongue. Oh, wait, not through. But on the contrary, blessing. Don't return evil for evil or reviling or revi- for reviling or insult for insult, but rather I want you to return a blessing. Man, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. The key to converting our anger into love is seeking the good of other people, even when they're misbehaving. Our actions flow from our hearts, and also our hearts can be altered by our actions. Matthew 5, 43-48, You've heard, it, heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus said, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for He makes His Son rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be, here's this very reasonable standard, you shall be perfect. Again, when you see the word perfect in the Bible, I think you can almost always substitute the word mature, grown up, like Jesus. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so... Back to our biblical response, slow down. Bite your tongue. Some some passages here. Uh, Proverbs 16.32, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Ecclesiastes 7.9, Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. James 1.19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath or anger. Proverbs 15.1 and 2, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. Now, this is just some very practical advice. I suspect, again, that you knew all of this. But I also suspect you're like me. You needed to hear it again. We need to make some fresh commitments and renewals to work on this. Some of us have more problem with it than others. But don't be a hearer of the word only. Be a doer of the word. You've heard the word today. 
There's an old hymn I ran across. I've never heard it sung, but the title of it fit the sermon pretty well. So I, uh, um, I wrote down the three verses, and the title of the hymn is uh, Angry Words, Oh, Let Them Never. Angry words, oh, let them never from the tongue unbridled slip. May the heart's best impulse ever check them ere they soil the lip. Love is much too pure and holy. Friendship is too sacred far for a moment's reckless folly thus to desolate and mar. Angry words are lightly spoken. Bitterest thoughts are rashly stirred. Brightest links of life are broken by a single angry word. Let's pray. Father, you are so gracious in your long-suffering toward us. We have done much to deserve your just wrath, and yet your mercies are new each morning. However, we are often easily perturbed by others in our anger, not only rises up in our hearts and minds, but too easily flows out of our mouths. We are ready for revenge and quick to inflict our rage on others, to offer biting words and jabs and sarcasms. Our angry words roll off our tongues with ease. Teach us, O Lord, to show your patience and grace, to be wise and not speak as fools. Help us to not be easily offended but charitable and kind. In anger, keep us from sin. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The poet Robert Frost once said, Half the world is composed of people who have something to say and cannot, and the other half who have nothing to say and keep on saying it. Proverbs 18.21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You know, one of the questions we might ask is, do we have a lot of conflicts? Now, we all have some. There's sin. I have my sin, and all the other people around me have sin, and so inevitably there's conflict. But if I am in, find myself frequently at odds with others, frequently in some kind of a conflict, um, I need to be doing some deeper soul-searching and ask, you know, to what degree am I contributing to this? Am I a peacemaker? Blessed are the peacemakers. Or am I a troublemaker? Am I one who stirs up strife with my responses? Am I easily offended? Am I always reading what other people are saying? I know what they really meant by that look or the fact that they didn't speak to me last week or... This word or that word. I, I'm finding offense everywhere I go because I'm really an angry person and I'm, it doesn't take a lot to tip over my apple cart. Well, we come to the table each week to examine ourselves, not each other. We come here before the Lord to say, Lord, show me. See if there's any hurtful way in me. Am I helping or hurting my marriage and my relationship in my family with my children or uh, with my neighbors or friends and colleagues and so forth. In Psalm 19, David offered up a prayer. It's perhaps one of the simplest, yes, yet most important prayers we can pray. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. What a difference it would make if we would all remind ourselves of these words, if we all prayed this prayer before we spoke. Not only in religious circumstances, but also when it's e- and not only when it's easy, but perhaps even more when we are just about to commit a sin of the tongue, especially when we're angry. So I want us to focus this week on refraining from sins of the tongue, on making sure our words build up rather than tear down. And let's focus on that on on the right. Uh, on that right now as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's table. It's always a good thing to be focused on purifying our hearts and our minds, but perhaps today we can renew covenant with God by focusing on being fresh followers of Jesus with our words. And so I urge you to pray in your hearts with me and, in fact, let's do better than that. Let's pray with our mouths right now. Let's bow our heads and repeat after me. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. O God, our Creator, You have made each one of us in every part. We pray today that You would bless us through and through, that we may delight to serve You fully, that our bodies would be living sacrifices that bring glory to Your name. Bless our eyes that we may discern the beauty You give. Bless our ears that we may hear You and the sounds of this world. Bless our sense of smell that Your fragrance may fill our being. Bless our lips that we may speak your truth, show forth kindness, and sing your joy. Bless our hands that they may play and write and touch as you guide them. Bless our feet that they may be messengers of your peace. Bless our imaginations that we may be filled with wonder in your world. Bless our hearts that they may overflow with your love. Bless us through and through that we may delight to serve you completely through Jesus Christ, who took our nature to make us whole. Bless this Lord's Day, our rest and our feasting, our fellowshipping, that it might all bring glory to your name. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. And all the ends of the earth shall fear Him. Amen.